Thanks, Tim. Great to have that, uh, that reading open. If you can keep it open, that'd be great. Um, it'll help us uh, get through uh, the, the, uh, the word carefully. Uh, I want to remind you as we start, so it's, uh, it's our vision series. Adventurous was last week. Didn't we have a big adventure last week? Fantastic, wasn't it? Absolutely amazing. Uh, this week, we're looking at our compassionate value, and uh, we have these little brochures. If you don't have one, I'd love for you to get one. Uh, that Basically, it's, it's called Your Guide to Giving and Living the Message of New Life in Jesus. If you open them up on the inside, you can find for each one of our values, we have a set of questions that help us to think about how to live them out. So a compassionate value is about living Jesus' call to love. And the three questions we ask is, do you know how God has gifted you to serve? How are you bringing Jesus' love to the least? And who are you sharing a meal with who's yet to know Jesus? And we'll return to those at the end of this sermon. Let me pray and ask that God would help us. Our Lord, thanks for this living word of yours. Thank you for your presence here. We pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, this word would challenge and change us today to be more and more like you when it comes to compassion. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope, uh, I hope you haven't been in a situation like this, but imagine you're uh, out doing your regular things in life and you come across something that can reasonably be termed an emergency. Okay? Fortunately, they're out of screen, so you don't know what's happened, but something's happened. There's an emergency. Now, in that situation, what do you do? What's the first thing that you think to do? Dr. ABC, okay, so someone's had their first aid, first aid training. Uh, what's the first thing we'll naturally think about doing? Sorry? Repent. Yeah, we could. We could. We didn't create the emergency, so that's good. I think the first thing we'll often do is we will grab our phones and go, How, what, what are we going to dial? Yeah, just as long as no one's saying 911, okay, all right? So we, we, we call, and we have this magical technology, Right, wherever we are, we pick this up and we go for it, right? And when you call, what are you expecting to happen? Well, because of the amazing world in which we live, we expect a speedy response. If they need to run some red lights, they'll run some red lights. If they need a helicopter, there'll be a helicopter. People will come to you fast, hopefully safely, but they'll come to you fast, right? That's great. When they turn up, they will be competent to do something about the care, right? So don't just send people who can drive fast to be next to you to take a photo and go, hey, here's you next to someone. That's not what happens. They send incredibly skilled and equipped people with boatloads of gear in their truck to go, we will care for you. Yeah? How amazing. And because of that speed, because of that care, we can reasonably expect in a vast majority of cases that there will be healing. It's extraordinary, right? But when I'm in that situation, my first thought is I'm going to ask the experts to come and bail me out on the phone right now. Okay. And then I'll do my ABC, Dr. ABC. Okay, Michelle, so I will, I will get to that. I will do my first aid. But I want to ask for the, the heroes to come and help. Now, that is not the first century world. There aren't ambulances. There certainly aren't helicopters. There are no mobile phones. Who would have thought? So when we meet... This situation in John, oh sorry, in Mark chapter 5, have a look with me what happens. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. 
He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now, to give you a little bit of context, Marcus started his gospel in, uh, in the area of Nazareth. So we're up the north of Israel in Nazareth. And as Jesus has started uh, to do his ministry, once he'd finished being a carpenter, he started his ministry and he was hanging around uh, a town up the north called Capernaum. It's actually on the coast up there, okay? Right, right near uh, the north of the, the, the Sea of Galilee. When he was there, Jesus was engaging with those people around him. And so he was healing the sick, he was casting out demons, and he was proclaiming the kingdom of God. And once you start doing that, people start paying attention. Word gets out. Hey, guys, in a world where there aren't hospitals, where there aren't helicopters and mobile phones, but there is someone who can heal you instantly, guess what? Word gets out. And you don't need an SMS to know about it because the person who travels to the next village says, you'll never guess, but this guy called Jesus is healing people. What would you do if you knew that was happening? You would go. And so Jesus has this growing reputation as a healer. In chapter 5, we look at three instances where Jesus is engaging with uncleanness. There's the uncleanness of an evil spirit that's across here in this area of the Gerasenes over there, and Jesus casts out an unclean spirit. We then come to a situation where a woman is unclean, we're about to meet her, and we meet a person who's unclean because there's death in the house. And so it's three instances of uncleanness. Jesus crosses the lake and he goes back to Capernaum, or at least that part of uh, Israel, and we meet Jairus. Who is Jairus? He's a synagogue ruler. It doesn't mean he's a priest, so we naturally think he's a priest. He's more like our wardens, okay? Uh, has an important responsibility in the life of the church for caring for the building and its people, but he's not the priest. He's a synagogue ruler, okay? Now, he's important, and he's at the high end of the social structure in Israel, but when he comes to Jesus, what does he do? He falls on his knees before Jesus. Now, we don't do that today. Right? You might trip over in front of someone, but we'd never get down on our knees. It's a position of great um, subordination, I guess, to the person who's more important. It would be a disgrace in this place for him to have done that. Why? Why did he do it? He did it because his daughter was dying. And he was out of options. He couldn't do anything else, but he'd heard that the healer was there. And so... He falls on his knees. What do we get with this engagement? A thing about Jairus and a thing about Jesus. First of all, we see for Jairus, he found a hope that was greater than his pride. Okay, If his daughter could possibly be saved, it wouldn't matter what the rest of society thought about him, he would plead for her life. That makes sense. I get that as a dad. I really do. I would throw myself on the ground if that was my only hope, for sure. And so he found a hope in Jesus, which was much bigger than his pride. But we see something extraordinary with Jesus, I think. We see a care that is greater than his agenda. Let, let me explain. Jesus had just been doing an exorcism across in the, in the Gerasenes. He comes back to Capernaum. He'd had enough time in the boat to know what he wanted to do next, right? 
I don't know what you're like on a bus or a train or, or whatever. While you're waiting, I would really like it to be faster. And when you get there, it's not like you hop off it and you just go, wow, I don't know what I'm going to do next with my day. You've had as long as the trip has been to be thinking about that, haven't you? Anyone else? Yes? Okay, so you hop off and you're ready to go. So Jesus hops off the boat. You guys could have rowed a bit quicker, but okay, fantastic. Here we are. I'm on to my next thing. And then Jairus throws himself on the ground in front of him. Please come and heal my daughter. Jesus goes, it's a little bit inconvenient at the moment, Jairus. I can give you a slot in the afternoon, but right now I'm ready to go and do some teaching up at the... Now, guys, we don't think about this, but it is extraordinary the care Jesus has for this man. His care trumps his agenda. Whatever else Jesus was going to do, this man right here is now the center point for Jesus. Do you see? And I actually think it helps that Jesus' agenda is to care. He's not distracted from his... Anyway, the point I think which is really interesting is God didn't invent hurry. God's never in a hurry. And so his son on earth meets pressing desperate need. It's no stretch. Of course I will go with you. How beautiful is Jesus' compassion? And so he does. Hey, I want you to uh, play a game with me. Guess what year this is? We're in Australia. John Howard is the Prime Minister. Uh, Blue Heelers are just uh, finishing up on the TV. Uh, The Broncos have won an NRL Premiership. And uh, the Socceroos are playing well in, uh, in the World Cup. Does anyone have an idea of what year this is? 2006, pay that man there. Now, tell me what was the piece of information that triggered it off for you, Tim? Yeah, okay. Fantastic. Uh, how many of the rest of you were just about to say the same thing? Put your hands up. Of course you were. Fantastic. Up the back. Yeah, well done. Okay, so it's 12 years ago. 12 years ago. Does that seem a long time ago to you? Has a lot happened in the 12 years since John Howard was Prime Minister of Australia? Who knows how many Prime Ministers we've had since then? 12, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Does it seem a long time ago to you? I think that's a huge period of time. Take that thought and jump with me into verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, guys, to get this, we we get 12 years, right? 12 years is a long time. She'd been unwell for 12 years. But we don't have this situation fully understood unless we understood a little bit more about the, the ancient world of Israel. In particular, their rules about clean and unclean. And guys, I've got to tell you, as we listen to this, it's going to be a little bit a, a little bit unusual. If you, if you don't know about the Old Testament laws, God was regulating their life. And he was saying to them, you need to be aware that every part of your life is devoted to me. 
So if we go back to Leviticus chapter 15, Leviticus chapter 15, after a section on men, you should note this, after a section on men, we come to verse, 15, uh, verse 25, sorry, and we see this. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, other than her monthly period, or as a discharge that continues beyond her period, she'll be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean. And anything she sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. When she is cleansed from her discharge, she must count off seven days, and after that, she will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, she must take two doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The priest is to sacrifice one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. In this way, he will make atonement for her before the Lord for the uncleanness of her discharge. Verse 31, you must keep the Israelites separate from the things that make them unclean. So they will not die in their uncleanness for, the, uh, for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. Now, brothers and sisters, the first thing to note is, just so we're very clear, today that doesn't apply. Are we clear? Praise God that that is not the case, right? However, what, what it meant here, it, it informs us. Who was unclean? The person who was, you're unclean if you have this discharge of blood. What else is unclean? Your bed, any seat you touch. More than that, all the others who you touch become unclean. If they touch the objects you've touched, they become unclean. Now, imagining all of that comes to an end, when are you clean? Well, you have to wait seven days, and then on the eighth day, you need to come and make a sacrifice in order to finally be declared ceremonially clean. Now, that's a huge burden, isn't it? But how much more do we understand the story of this woman's suffering if she had been suffering in this way for 12 years? If Jairus, the synagogue ruler, was the height of this small town, he was the ruler of the synagogue, then this woman is the absolute lowest. She, she literally suffers in every possible way. She would have been excluded from friends. I believe it's possible to think that she was never married. It says that she was impoverished by her illness. She'd gone to whatever doctors there were. She paid her money and it had all failed. In fact, it said she was getting worse. She was a social outcast and she was physically suffering. She was declared unclean so in every possible way, socially, physically, spiritually, She's at the bottom of the pile. Think of her life. And yet, something amazing happens on this day, doesn't it? For this woman, she has heard about Jesus, just like Jairus has, because everybody in the town's heard about Jesus. But she now has a desperation that trumps her social responsibility. Do, do you know what I mean by that? She, she, she was supposed to not be around other people because everybody, she, they became unclean. But she's heard of Jesus and she puts all that to a side and she says, it doesn't matter, I am going for it. I am so desperate to be healed. I'll put all that aside and I am going for Jesus. A desperation that trumps her social responsibility and a faith greater than her fear. 
whatever it costs me, I want Jesus. A faith greater than her fear. And, and, and wasn't she rewarded? It, it says there that immediately she felt freed from her suffering. What a beautiful description of her physical healing, freed from her suffering. I absolutely love it. Uh, I've been known to go to the cricket, and uh, I love the cricket. I'm, I'm an enthusiastic supporter. Who knew? Uh, and, uh, and when I'm at the cricket, I like offering advice to the players just to help them out, right? It's just generosity on my part, really. Um, and look, one day I was at the cricket at one day match. There's a guy called Paul Rifle. Probably no one knows who Paul Rifle is, but anyway, Paul Rifle. And, uh, and anyway, I'm on the hill at the SCG, right? And um, oh, I was probably being a little bit rowdy, but I, but I had this moment where a ball was nicked down to fine leg and, um, and Paul Rifle just ran over and it ran into the fence for four runs. And I'm thinking to myself, I should offer some encouragement to Paul. And so I said to him, you reckon if you're playing for Australia, you'd dive. But something just before that had happened, something really weird. When you're in a crowd, there's lots of noise, right? And so I'm just generally throwing my voice out there. Except what had happened is a supernatural calm had come over the crowd at just the moment where I offered my encouragement to Paul Rifle. It was so bizarre. It literally just got quiet. And so I yelled out, you reckon if you're playing for Australia, you dive, as he was picking the ball out of the gutter. And as he picked it up, he looked at me. <laughs> and I got noticed. <laughs> And I felt, oh my goodness, that wasn't what I was intending. Just offering a bit of, anyway, it was, it was a little bit mortifying, to be honest. Now, why do I tell you that? I think it informs this part of the sermon. Have a look with me at verse 30 in chapter 5 of Mark. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can say, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. It's an extraordinary situation, isn't it? She felt like she'd done something anonymous. Are you with me? Now, where did she touch? There are all sorts of touches, aren't there? There's a slap on the back, you're going to know about that. There's a shake of a hand, you're going to know about that. There's the bit where you rub your school shoes in the carpet and you touch your friend's ear and they get the electric shock on it. No one else? I see a couple of boys laughing. Okay, good. If you haven't tried it out, it's a great gig, fantastic. So get the static electricity up and then you touch. They know that power has gone out from them, okay? Fantastic. So there are different kinds of touches. But what did she touch? Look at the text. What did she touch? Tell me. His clothes. Now, how many of you have nerves in your clothes? We don't, do we? We don't have nerves in our clothes. We can't sense touch in our clothes. And we certainly can't sense touch in our clothes. As the disciples rightly point out, it's peak hour at, at Central Station or, or maybe it's Town Hall. Who's touched me? Well, come on, everybody. Everybody is touching me. It's a ridiculous question, right? And more than that, it wasn't a slap on the back. It wasn't a touch on the hand. It was a touch on the clothes. Who touched me is Jesus' question. That's a miracle in itself, isn't it, that he even knows. 
He feels power go through him. I don't think it's, oh, my, my batteries are empty. I think he's a conduit for the power of God, and he knows that it's happened, right? And I want you to imagine her life. Part of being really compassionate is to take the time to get into the shoes of someone else. So let's get in her shoes. A social outcast with desperation touches Jesus and she feels in herself that she is freed from her suffering. She knows something extraordinary has happened. What do you think she wants to do at that point? She wants to go home. She wants to disappear. She wants to just enjoy her freedom. And now this bloke is calling out and saying, somebody touch me. I reckon she's afraid. She's afraid because she wonders, did I steal the blessing of God? Are you with me? She she anonymously came up behind him, touched his clothing, and she's healed. And then now she's going, who touched me? And she's thinking, did I steal it? Did I do something wrong? I think she starts to be worried, what's coming next? Are you with me? Do you feel her anxiety? Jesus is so impressive in this moment. Not only the healing, the healing is extraordinary, right? By touching his clothes, she's physically healed. But Jesus is extraordinary. He really is. Jesus' next words show that intimacy with God trumps anonymity. She thought she could be anonymous, and Jesus turns it into intimacy. Have a look at at, at verse 34. After she comes trembling with fear, after she falls at his feet and explains everything, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He uses this beautiful word of intimacy, my daughter. Nobody had cared for this lady. The son of God on earth addressed her as daughter. It's so precious. And then he does this weird thing. He's making public her private faith, right? She was, she was healed straight away, right? Totally anonymously. She could have just disappeared into the crowd. And I think the question that we've got to ask is, why? Why does he call her out? Why does he speak to her in this way? I want to suggest th- th- these things. The first thing is, is he speaks peace to her. And it's not in the combi van from the 60s, okay? He's not saying peace, man. No, no, no. He's speaking God's shalom on her. He's speaking a blessing on her. Go in peace in the rightness of living before God. You are whole again. Go in peace. He speaks a blessing over her. He tells her that she is freed from her suffering. I love that his language echoes her experience. You have been set free from your suffering. How beautiful. He then does it, I think, to be an example of faith, right? Hey, everyone, have a look. This woman touched me and she's been utterly healed. Is everyone paying attention? This is an object lesson for you. It's an object lesson in faith. That's why he calls her out. But there are two more reasons. Two more reasons that I think are profoundly beautiful. Number one, he short circuits her restoration. What, how long did you have to wait after she was healed? Do you remember from Leviticus? Seven days, plus an extra day where she had to offer the sacrifices. I'm not even sure. It says here that she was impoverished by her attempting to get healed. I'm not even sure she could afford the sacrifice. 
And so here's Jesus saying, you are restored. Do you see that? Cuts down all the waiting time, speaks a word of hope and healing. But one more thing, and this is the most brilliant mercy of Jesus. He calls her out and declares it clean because he's going to restore her socially to her community. See, her healing's invisible, isn't it? But when the Son of God says, you're freed from your suffering, you are healed, now everybody standing around knows they can embrace her again. Do you see this? She doesn't have to get a doctor's certificate. The Son of God says she's healed by faith. Do you see? And so she's immediately reabsorbed into her community. It is so beautiful, so compassionate that Jesus stops her and calls her out. This is the heart of compassion. And this is a guy with a big beard. Does anyone know Costa? Okay, so Gardening Australia. You're watching Gardening Australia, learning about your perennials or something, whatever it is, and, uh, and breaking news, right? Breaking news. Now, when you see breaking news, is it something good or bad? Okay, it's bad. It's not breaking news. A puppy was pulled from the... Dra- That's not happening. Every time you see breaking news, something bad is happening. Breaking news happens for Jairus right here. Have a look at verse 35. Amidst all of this joy, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? (sighs) Imagine you're a Jairus. Remember I said uh, imagination is this heart of compassion. Put yourself in Jairus' shoes. The healer's coming. There's hope for my daughter. And now unnamed woman that everybody, we've we've stopped for her. We got delayed. He was coming to help my, we got delayed and now my daughter is dead. Is he angry? Probably has right to be, doesn't he? And now there's death. Jesus had been healing people by touching them. Sick people were getting well. But once you're dead, you're done, aren't you? Why bother the teacher anymore? And so the next thing he must be feeling is despair. There's no hope for my daughter now. Let the teacher go on his way. But Jesus won't let that be the last word. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Ease your heart. It's tough, isn't it? Don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus is saying, what I want you to do here is three things. I want you to examine what just happened. This delay with the lady wasn't a mistake. What, did, what just happened? What, what just happened? You guys can tell me. What just happened with the lady? She got healed. Examine what just happened. And then I want you to extrapolate trust for me, right? That just happened. It wasn't a waste. You saw me do something extraordinary in the life of this woman, and now I'm saying to you, extrapolate. Build from that and know I can do more. Examine what happened. Extrapolate what could happen. Look to the future. What could I do for you? And thirdly, entrust your dead daughter to me. I can do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. Entrust her to me. It's an amazing story. And, and you know, he goes on to heal her, which is brilliant. And, and I love it, but there's not enough time. 
does this story help us? Well, let me offer you a couple of reflections on what we learn from this. Watching Jesus, we learn that he cares about all, the great and the small. So the synagogue ruler is the most important person in the town, and our unnamed woman, notice she doesn't even have a name in the story, our unnamed woman is absolutely the least. Jesus, time for both. How about us? He joins care with the power to heal. So it's worth, it's worth having Jesus on your side, isn't it? He doesn't just care. He can care and heal. Fantastic. He is never hurried around need. I am absolutely humbled by this. I'm blown away by this. I've got to think more about this. Jesus is never hurried by need. Are we like that? He cares personally and up close. He turns the anonymous situation into a personal situation. He didn't have to do that. And we will often do things at arm's length, but he doesn't, up close and personal. He's able to set people free from suffering. We want to know that today. He can set you free. He works through faith, which is trust and belief working together. And he always welcomes the fearful. Don't be afraid, he says. But it raises questions for us, doesn't it? Raises questions. There are at least three I've got to reflect on. What if I've prayed for healing? Anyone done this? Yeah. Yeah. There's at least two ways we can encounter this question. What if I've prayed and I've suffered loss? What if I've prayed and I've suffered loss? In that case, I want you to read again 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want you to meet the God of comfort and the Father of compassion. No suffering, no sorrow, no loss goes uncared for by our Heavenly Father. If you're praying for someone and you're waiting for healing, have patience. Be faithful. Persevere in the goodness of the God who loves me. What, what, what if I feel like I don't have enough faith? This is, this is a thing, right? What if I'm not the woman? What if I'm not Jairus? What if I feel I don't have enough faith? Earlier in Mark's gospel, there's a story about a paralytic, and he's got four friends who dig a hole in the roof. Do you remember this story? Dig a hole in the roof and lower the bloke through. This is the amazing part of that story. You can look it up yourself. Here's what it says. When he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Whose faith was he looking at? Their faith, not his. I want to encourage you, as someone here in our church community, Get involved in a church where you might find four faithful friends who will stand with you if you don't have enough faith. Four faithful friends. Find them. They'll be in your life group with you. They'll be around you. Find four faithful friends that might stand with you when you don't have the faith. And I would say to you, if you're not having enough faith, re-examine how welcome these people were in the presence of God. He loves you, even in the midst of suffering. Re-examine your welcome. And what if no one's in that situation in my life at all at the moment? I'd say take the opportunity to build your faith because guess what? You're going to be given an opportunity to demonstrate it really soon. 
build your faith for the day when that comes. So what should we do? How should we apply it? It says there you are what you listen to. We've been listening to the word of God. What should we do with it? Here's three ways that we can think about how we're living out Jesus' call to love. When it comes to loving the least, will we have eyes to see the woman who would be excluded from our society? IJM can help us with that. I'd love you to get get in touch with them and think about how you can partner with them. Even just get on their prayer list and find out about the least in our world. What about if you're hanging out with the privileged at the top end of the... Well, they're they're probably our friends, our neighbours. Eat a meal with them. Who are you having a meal with, it says in here, who's yet to know Jesus? Have someone round. Show them the compassion of God by loving them. How is God equipping you to serve? Come and join us serving in the life of the church here. We do our partnership once a term, and uh, it's running this afternoon. Uh, We'd love to have you sign up and serve with us uh, here at New Life. In 2019, we have a plan to provide more space for you. More space so that you can go deeper with Jesus and deeper with others. We want you to be a church, just like I want to be a follower of Jesus who will be more compassionate than I was this year because I'm echoing the heart of my Father. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you're good and gracious. You love the least and the greatest. By faith, Father, you stand ready to help us in our suffering. Lord, help us to be your hands and feet, to hear your call to love and to act compassionately in this world. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.